This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies, from first-time directors, indie, art house, and much more. Go check us out at www.tameaperture.com for previous episodes and to make suggestions on future episodes. Today on the podcast, we talk the 2015 film Ex Machina from director Alex Garland. A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a highly advanced humanoid AI. I'm Gabe Wienendorf, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined today by Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm planning my, 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 I'm creating my You took Google Home future. out of your house. Yeah, yeah, I want to. <laughs> I, I want to. We're talking I'm going to build X-Machina. my bunker, my, my hidden bunker where I can work on secret projects and shit is this is this film of i don't this is the thing though uh i don't know that we're jumping right in first off second off i don't know that it's just about artificial intelligence i don't think so this is a movie while i was watching this I, i i've seen it before so this is the second time i've seen it i what was the first can you remember the first impression when you first saw it i enjoyed it i definitely enjoyed it um I also, and I, I felt this way as well, I feel like I'm not smart enough to understand everything going on and all the levels and, all, and everything they're trying to say in this movie. It's a very complex world. Yes. Because it's dealing with, well, artificial intelligence, but it's also dealing with a world that I'm surrounded with day by day, but I don't know anything about, mm-hmm. which is coding and programming and technology beyond the understanding that I currently have of what techno- sure. technology is. I think there's some spiritual things going on here too. And also the, and I mean the literal title ex machina, right? which is Latin. It's gotta be. I'm, I'll look that up. I haven't looked be. it up and done my research. I'm just assuming, but I know that as a, as a film instructor, it comes for other uh, men. I know, uh, Deus. Deus ex machina. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know that structure and storytelling, but I'm, I'm assuming it's derived from that. It's one of the uh, the the big things you're never supposed to do in writing, right? Is is have a do sex machina where it's just yeah, it's a, the hand of God essentially changes your story. Yeah, and it's it it derives from like I believe like Greek mythology or some kind of Greek plays or theaters. Like they used to literally like when the hero the hero or the heroine was mm-hmm. in trouble you would see like some kind of device come down and right. it was carrying the solution, which right. was a, a godlike being who could come and intervene. So essentially, it's just the Simpsons in the later years. <laughs> it's like just bad writing, just, just horrible writing. It's just randomly something showing up to alter or pivot the trajectory of the main character in, for the better. Okay. Like a, a godlike machine coming and intervening for that character to overcome, and it's it's a cop out, right? Like you don't exactly. you don't want your story. Well, it's unnatural. It doesn't right. It, it just randomly shows. Like one of the things I was thinking about was, um, Lord of the Flies, right? Yeah, and 
And that that's from Lord of the Flies. Like in Lord, it's the one. The only reason I say Lord of the Flies is because I think it's the one book that I read in I think later elementary or early junior high, mm-hmm. where they actually require you to read that book. Did you ever read that book? I think I was. I think it was a sign, but I never read it. <laughs> I probably did the Cliff's Notes version of it. I was real good at that back in school because this is, I think, an exemplary. Uh, or a prime example of uh, Deus Ex Machina, which is Jack, the main character who who runs rampant with all the boys. Um, and now I forget, I think it's Piggy or whoever it is. I don't know, who, one of the, or Raoul. I can't remember his name right. now, but the kid that they're always picking on, who, they're going to kill him. Right. at the Towards the end of the, and then all of a sudden some like soldier or like naval s- naval officer arrives out of nowhere right at just the, at the end. perfect just at the perfect moment right that's what i so if you're thinking of deus ex machina that's what i think of is like randomly that person being saved by the most absurd illogical thing to happen and it just takes you out of the story <laughs> and you're like what just happened no and i haven't read that so I, maybe it works in 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 that book it, but. i mean it feels weird yeah but but you do see this, and it is a plot device or a story element to narrative st- structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like you mentioned, it's something that that you're that a lot of people will try to stay away from. But it's the godlike machine that comes to save the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there's a lot of, I think, complicated nature to this story, and like you, you get confused, or it's easy to uh, think that everything's. Uh, intentional in every scene and so everything's placed in a certain way and sometimes you kind of can become overwhelmed with that i think yeah um because i don't i i it's it's tough because while i was watching this movie there's so there's just so much going on and there's so much i think that he's trying to say and i think you know every shot seems like it's it could be a perfect metaphor and i just didn't feel like i had a very good grasp on everything I wanted to talk about when we came in here. And I don't like to do that. I, I Sometimes I don't have a great grasp anyway. It's a little tenuous and we kind of figure it out as we're going. But this one, there's just so much. I almost feel a little overwhelmed trying to break it all down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be... <clears throat> when I first saw this film uh, back in 2015, I remember I immediately loved it. So in the contrary, the, the things we've talked about, like I just remember us having a discussion about Interstellar. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of Interstellar like, eh. <laughs> right. And a lot of people loved it, but there's complexities to that film, right? Right. But this film, similarly, it although completely different in worlds, I walked out going, yes, yes. Yeah. And I didn't know entirely why. And then I've rewatched it since, of course. But there was something that resonated from the first viewing. Part of that was the style of the film, the way it shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a directorial debut by Garland, and he's got a great design eye. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's beautifully shot. It, it is. It's go- the whole thing is gorgeous. And, um, and the writing, that's the complexity of it is just the, the interaction between the two characters the main characters, which we'll get into, like the way they speak to each other. And then it, it seemed above my head. Yeah, that's how that's how I was feeling. I mean, I could still kind of follow along, but the world in terms of me understanding coding and programming and artificial intelligence 
and all that kind of technology jargon was, it wasn't that he made it so complex that you couldn't follow along, but it felt like I was uh, an incompetent guy in the room <laughs> trying, to, trying, to, trying right. to keep up with these two talking back and forth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And that's, there's kind of an irony in this because it's one setting throughout the whole thing. There's four characters, Max. Uh, if you, I mean, I guess five if you want to count the helicopter pilot. Uh, so it, it's such a simple setting, such a simple... You would think that just limited amount of characters, limited amount of uh, settings, that it, it would be a very simplistic story. But ironically, it's very complex. Right. I don't want to say complicated because I don't think it's the right word. It's just complex. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of intricacies to how he structures it. But he doesn't this is the thing. I think he does it he he balances it delicately. Yeah. Because he at least makes us be able to enjoy and follow and not feel so confused that we don't comprehend elements to what's happening. Remember we talked about once again, we talked about Interstellar and it's we talked about Interstellar. It's it's confusing, right? Yeah. So this has elements that, but you don't feel, you can still kind of get what's going on without understanding the, 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 the deeper uh, kind of dialogue that goes beyond, the, the, the interactions between the characters. You don't need to understand the details of the Turing test. And or the details of artificial intelligence. Or AI or how, or... how machines work. and All that dialogue needs to be in there to make it believable. But we don't need to know that in order to follow the story at all. Exactly. And I think that's really tough because some people get really swallowed up in, in the details of that kind of shit. And yeah. he is really good at seeing the forest through the trees and just keeping the big picture there Absolutely. while we're diving into this technical world. Yeah. And so for a first time director, now uh, Garland, who is an English writer, was most prominent for uh, his novel called The Beach. This was adapted into a film by Danny Boyle. Oh, he, Star he wrote that He book? wrote the novel. Wow. So Danny Boyle ad adapted that into a film called The Beach starring Leonardo DiCaprio. This came out in maybe like 2000, 2001, mm -hmm. something like that. So he wrote that novel, and that's kind of what set him on a path of, of writing. And it, from, you know, not having read that novel, but I've seen the film, and it's, you can see how he's a world creator. Oh, for sure. Well, he, he wrote 28 Days Later, one of my favorite And he movies. follows up the beach with some screenplays, and 28 Days Later is one of them. I never, I've seen 28 Days Later. I've never seen his one following that called Sunshine. Have you seen Sunshine? I haven't seen that, no. So uh, it takes place in the year 2057, basically following a group of astronauts on a dangerous mission to reignite the dying sun. So once again, he can take these... Uh, complex notions of science mm -hmm. and and it seems like that's kind of his one of his trademarks it feels way. almost like a uh there's a there's a common thread going through his work whether it's the natural world encroaching on our humanity or our humanity encroaching on the natural world and i, I think that's a cool little dichotomy he set up there i, I just there's a lot of then you're right i agree with you there's a lot of man versus science yes in a sense yes you know and I, I, I love, I mean, every, from the setting to, uh, of this little bunker place to, to just everything they've done and just the, the little ironies about it all and, like, the fact that there's this technological wonder going on in the middle of nowhere. 
and it's just nature all around them. And they're, they're going on hikes and stuff, but they're also literally building artificial intelligence. The thing that is anti-evolutionary, you know, it's like the next step for us to take over the world even more, the planet. I just love these little ironies he's thrown in there. And they're constantly throughout this whole entire the whole, thing. The whole thing. And, and to set it up so people have a context of the story, like you mentioned, you really only have four characters, two primaries, and then a third who's, 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 who's obviously extremely important. Mm -hmm. But initially, the first two characters are Caleb, played by Donnell Gleason, and Nathan, played by Oscar Isaac. And Oscar Isaac basically plays the equivalent of what I would consider or what we might culturally tie into like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. In the sense of he's a mogul tech guy who's created Blue Book that is essentially the equivalent of Google. Yeah. And the reason I use Zuckerberg, even though he didn't create Google, he created Facebook, just because there's a celebrity to Zuckerberg, more so than even, I forget who founded Google. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I mean. We know Zuckerberg on a mass scale. Right. So Oscar Isaac plays this character called Nathan, who's created Blue Book, and, and Caleb, Daniel Gleason, is one of his employees, and it's a huge company. 90% mm -hmm. of searches happen on Blue Book. It's a whole uh, ode to Google. I remember listening to a podcast about maybe a year or so ago and somebody asking, uh, or no, the uh, so, uh, there was a keynote with the founder of Google. And you have to, excuse me, I for, there's two of them and I forget their names. But one of them, someone in the did a Q&A and they asked him, uh, it's probably Larry Page, I'm guessing. Larry Page sounds familiar. Now, I know there's two of them, but nonetheless... Sergey Brin. Yeah. And somebody, they got into questioning or talking, and I'm going to go with Larry Page. He said to the person in the audience, after as a follow-up question, he says, what do you think Google is? And the audience member said, well, Google's a search engine. And he said, no, Google's artificial intelligence. That's <laughs> true. And That's I just remember true. listening to that podcast going, oh, shit. It's so true. Like, but you don't think of it that way mm -hmm. when you're typing in your search. Right. You're, you're asking a, an evolving machine learning computer to tell you things. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. And when he said that, but when he, that comes from the mouth of the leader of that company. That's scary. That made it even that more... I was more petrified. That's scary. That's because it, it really is. Um, it really is AI. And I don't want to get super political or, or too in the weeds with this stuff, but it is, it's scary what could happen. Like it's scary enough that you just start typing in a search and it already knows what you're going to search for. Or you haven't typed in a search. Yeah. And the computer tells you what you are interested right. in. Right. It's, Wait, what? it's creepy. It's scary. And uh, I think they do a good job of showing what could happen if this thing goes a little wild. And this is not the whole essence of the film, like you mentioned. Right. I mean, but this is a big part of it because Oscar Isaac's character is that person who right. has built this, this system uh, of machine learning and AI. And essentially what happens in the beginning of the film is that Caleb, Donnell Gleason gets an invite he wins a contest and the contest takes him to the estate of oscar isaac of nathan and um to spend a week with him 
and just be in that in that in that presence right uh they fly out it's this huge i mean you get the magnitude of where they're going mm-hmm. when when Caleb asks the helicopter pilot when do we get to his estate and the helicopter pilot says we've been flying over his estate for the past 2 hours right and it's almost comical do you know what i mean uh-huh. like okay that's absurd right but they're also setting you up for that magnitude yeah yeah but it's i think it's done jokingly in some sense but they land and he basically the helicopter pilot tells him look this is as close as i'm able to get to the estate and he has to walk the rest of the way and he's walking through natural things the forest the river uh the world the earth like mother earth right which is it, it because what he's going to be doing is so unnatural because to me and i it's not trying to get overly really religious but like he's walking through the garden of eden Good point. That's a really in, good point. In, in the sense of like, you watch these shots of him going from the helicopter. He's going through all those natural things. It's all green. It's water, which is life, all these things. And he arrives at this, basically this estate, this house. And uh, the first thing that happens when he gets there is he, it reads his face. Well, before he has any interaction with another human being, he has an interaction with a machine. A, a facial recognition a, machine. A facial recognition Takes his machine, photo. Right? And then runs so, runs through and pops out a card and says, this is how you access the house. Right. In that immediate notion, and that sets the stakes. Now we get that this guy is an IT genius. Yes. Right. Yes. And so he walks in and it's, comp- by the way, it's complete. The world is completely isolated. And that's the other thing. When he leaves that helicopter, he's leaving that world as we know it or how we're familiar with being around other people completely behind. The helicopter yep. pilot just told him, We've been flying over his place for two hours. There's nothing else in sight. So he gets to, to, Kay, or to, to Nathan's house, and it's just this beautiful house. Gets there, and he walks in, and there he sees uh, this iconic figure. Mm-hmm. This is what I love about Oscar Isaac, by the way. I think his acting is so good. It's, he's fantastic. And I look, in, in most of the things he does... He's able to embody those characters at, as if they, as they're written. And what I mean by that is, I think it's easy for an actor to read something and then just completely, kind of like, it's easy for an actor to read something, and just kind of go through the motions of what that character might be. But I think Isaac's so good. You watch his films and his other stuff, but this film in particular, his performance, he embod- He makes me believe from the first word that he speaks that he's a tech mogul. Definitely. He's eccentric. He's confident. He's egotistical. He's all these things. And not saying that's what they all are, but, they, but it's, it's he also what, comes across very intellectual. I, I also like the fact that he's not just doing an impression of a, an actual tech mogul in real life. I, I like that... They and it's not just him. It's also Garland. Like they they've built this guy who's his own guy because we're not watching this and thinking, oh, that's just Mark Zuckerberg. No, we're watching it and we believe he's a fully formed person. And this is you know, it's not just they're not just ripping off someone else. Yeah. And I I really enjoyed. He's a fucking mad scientist, dude. Like a hundred percent. He is a mad scientist. That's the characterization of him. Yes. He's no a doubt. mad scientist. He's boxing doing all this stuff right. as caleb walks in and then he walks in says hello to him introduces himself and then starts fixing an antioxidant drink right 
and says, this is what I do after I've had a rough night. He's like, I got a massive hangover. Yeah. Massive hangover. And then he's, Caleb says, well, that must have been some kind of party. And he's like, what party? Yeah. <laughs> and immediately we know he's a drunk too. Right. So on top of being a mad scientist, and that makes him the mad scientist, which is he's super intellectual, he's eccentric, he's confident, and at the same time, he's got a vice. And what I was thinking uh, on this, my second watch through is I'm thinking he is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as well. Yeah. Because Dr. Jekyll, he, he drinks a potion and he becomes Mr. Hyde. And that's exactly what he's doing. And we see it later as he when as he gets drunk, he becomes uh, unsavory. He's also very self-aware. Very. Because very. It, immediately he knows that Caleb is in awe of his celebrity. Right, right. And he's like, look, man, can we just let's be get, two guys? Let's get past this shit. Can we just get right. past this shit? Right. Can we just be two guys? As you walk around this $150 million <laughs> house. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. You got to take a helicopter to get there. Um, he's walking through the house and he's basically showing him how the card works. You got your card. If you hold it up against the scanner and it turns, if doesn't, it doesn't turn green, mm. you don't have access. Try this one. Like he's playing a game it's, already. It's, a little, I, I it's mean, gamey. Though. I don't want to say it's condescending, but the way he, he approaches him with this, uh, well, that's such a simple thing. Everyone comprehends the idea of an ID badge right. letting you in a place or not. If it doesn't let you in, it indicates red and it's off limits. It's almost like he's super proud of this thing that we all know. And the way he says, you know, if, if a light turns blue and you can go in, it's for you. And he says, try it, Caleb. And Caleb does it and the yeah. door opens. He goes, I guess it's for you. I guess it's for you. And this is his bedroom. Yeah. And it's just a little, just a little condescending little, you know, because childlike i'm treating you like a child once he gets in the room he does like you're saying he is still a little bit condescending because right, he's like right. a little desk over he's like right. showing him things right. that you would naturally just see in front of you and i don't know if it's it's partly it's he's been in isolation for so long or that's a good point i didn't think of it in that context but he's like it's cozy isn't it yeah and he's like trying to sell it up upsell it right and it's like he reads his mind because he says there's something missing. There's no windows. Yeah. And it it's does. It's a bunker-esque feel. And you know what? Until he said that, I didn't notice this. But as soon as he said there's no windows, immediately felt claustrophobic. Like, yeah. Immediately. And the fact that you have to access this key card. You're dependent on technology to get you in and out of this room. There's no other escape. And this all obviously becomes important later on. There's no other escape, and you're dependent on technology. And you're in the middle of nowhere where if technology fails, you're dead. You, you have no hope of survival at all. So to me, that's immediately kind of – it's pretty – I'm getting a little anxious. I'm feeling a little anxiety, and I'm feeling a little claustrophobic. What makes it – what even after establishing that world of isolation so well, I think what even ups the ante more – is he's like, this This isn't a house, Caleb. It's a research facility. And you go, oh, geez. You know? Um, <laughs> and he starts divulging to Caleb, like, why he's there, why he won the contest. And he wants to walk through him, like, uh, what he's been doing in his research. So it's almost like Caleb's been handpicked, which he has. Yes, he has. <laughs> very intentionally. Um, and, and that's the one thing about Caleb. He's so naive for being a super smart programmer coder. I think he's just awestruck. 
I think he's awestruck. I do think he gets a little arrogant, though. And I think... I think the arrogance is that maybe he knew that he was handsome, and so he feels overconfident. Well, I also think Nathan plays him quite a bit. And I think Nathan, he he builds up uh, his ego without actually explicitly doing it. Right. And the way he he interacts with, and we'll talk about this, obviously, but the way he interacts with, with this artificial intelligence and the way Nathan reacts to him, his interactions, it just, it feels like he's totally fucking with him later on when the, all the reveals come out. And he, and he is. He totally and is. He is a hundred percent. And, and he says, I want to show you all the things I've been doing. I want to show. And so he's playing like a, it, it very, it feels very uh, cat to mouse mm-hmm. where he's saying that, and then, but you have to do something for me first, Caleb. And it's basically a non-disclosure. You got to sign this non-disclosure. It's just thing. the way he, it's just so sinister the way he presents all this stuff. It just makes you feel so uncomfortable. It, Caleb says, look, it's, this isn't standard because the stuff in the NDA is, is beyond what mm-hmm. you would expect. And even Caleb goes, I don't think this is. I need a lawyer. I need a lawyer <laughs> to go through this. And, and, and he's like, you don't have to sign it. We could just. He, this is where he teases him again because he's like, you don't have to sign it. We'll just spend the next few days playing pool and getting drunk together and having fun. Yeah. But you won't know all the cool things I've been working on. And when, when you find out in a year what's been going on, you're, you're going to never forgive yourself. Yep. And anybody, I think, in Caleb's position who is inter- who is passionately drawn to you know, computers and IT and all these kind of things, that, that is a cat. You're going you're gonna to take that bait. Oh, no doubt. And he knows it, too. Especially when this is where it sets it up. Because after Caleb's deciding to sign it, uh, Nathan says, do you know what the Turing test is? Mm-hmm. And he explains what the Turing test is. And for those that aren't as familiar with the Turing test is, it's basically uh, developed by Alan Turing. If you've seen the imitation game with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. did you ever see that? I film? never did, no. It's, it's Alan Turing, a British scientist or a British, uh, well, I don't even know what the description of what he is, but it's basically a test to take a machine's ability to exhibit intellectual behavior or make it uh, indistinguishable from that of a human. So it's basically saying if this, com- if you, this computer can make you believe that it is got human features or or it, it has human qualities it's passed the test mm-hmm. it's developed enough to be able to uh imitate a human so much so that a human can't distinguish it right. from a computer right and that's what basically the turing test and, is. and i assume it's it's going off the idea that that humans just have a natural detection for that kind of i mean it's like the uncanny valley when something looks almost human but not quite, and you may not understand quite what it is, but you know something's wrong. Yeah, and it, I assume it's based on something similar. Slightly, something slightly off. We're um, getting all scientific and shit in this. I know. Look at this. I'm getting. I'm getting in deep. <laughs> Pulling in from my tenth grade computer science class. Watch out, everybody. I think I got a C minus in that class. Nice. <laughs> you're, you're more than qualified to walk us through this. <laughs> I'm more than qualified to go through ex machina with my C minus in computer science in tenth grade. <laughs> um, and and because Caleb understands the concept of the Turing test, 
Um, he want Nathan wants to know if, if Caleb he's going to walk through whatever Nathan's been working on and see if it'll pass the Turing test. And over the next few days, this is what Caleb is tasked to do. And Caleb says, if you've created a conscious machine, it's not the history of man. It's the history of God. Right. Because you've created a being without procreation. Right. Right. This is once, once again, kind of the, the, the titular concept of what the story is. Right. Right. Um, God from machine. Well, and this is I mean, this is just my dumb brain. It's just full of quotes. It's just I thought of Jurassic Park, where uh, <laughs> uh, the movie quotes start coming. Yeah, in. the movies. You know, man or God creates man. Uh, no, God. God creates dinosaur. God kills dinosaur. God creates man. Man kills God. Man creates dinosaur. Yeah, and it just that was the first thing I thought that popped into my brain. Jeff Goldblum's a goddamn treasure. And then I was gonna say, and then Jeff Goldblum. You couldn't get him out of your mind. The rest uh, yeah, of the, the rest of the, the rest of the time. Um, but yeah, there is that essence to it, and so now Caleb's off to the races. In other words, he is going to test this machine or this artificial intelligence that Nathan's created and see if it passes the Turing test. But he goes and meets Ava, who is the uh, artificial intelligence, which basically already physically resembles a human to me, a hundred percent. This special effect, I don't know how they did this. I, I don't know how they made her half robot, half human, because it looks so real. And I, I kept kind of pausing it and trying to figure out what they were doing. I don't know how they did it. Obviously, it's you know CGI. There's some stuff, CGI but- involved, but I also saw a quick featurette. Didn't go into full depth about the special effects, but it just briefly discussed how... Uh, she had to wear like a very tight form-fitting uh, Alicia Vikander had a right had to wear a very tight form-fitting mesh mm-hmm. suit, and also had a uh, uh, bald not a bald cap, it just but actually designed with the mesh setting, and then they were able to enhance some things with the like motion capture. Okay, right, and enhance those android type looks. Right, right. But ultimately, like when you see Ava for the first time, it it's not like a machine that we've seen. If you were to compare it to like something that the Boston Institute or MIT or someone created, like where you see those robots that kind of still have the articulating arms or right, legs and they're right. running and they're kind of bouncing around. Like Ava's full blown motion resembles 100% human. Oh, totally. She looks like a human. Have you ever watched some of those videos where those 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 people? Oh yeah, like the MIT. They just or, beat the shit out I think of those it's poor Boston robots. Mechanics like, or whoever it is. Yeah, I I just feel bad for those robots, even though they're not human. They are just kicking the shit out of those robots. They're they're smacking them down every time they jump up. They're pushing them down. They're just beating the hell out of them, man. They uh, but over the years, as I've seen some of those videos on like YouTube mm-hmm. or whatever. They have progressively got way better from the oh, beginning sure, till I'm now. Sure. And there's a reason. It just looks like abuse to me. Even though it's not at all a living oh, thing, yeah. it just feels like they're just beating the shit out of it. You started little, you were already starting to sympathize exactly. for Exactly. The they're a little too good at beating up those robots. So I'm not saying they practice on their kids, but I'm not saying they don't practice on their kids. <laughs> <laughs> um but but this 
Ava, like we said, resembles all human features. So immediately, from a physical perspective, uh, it's believable. Yeah. It, as though that you know. But um, what I found interesting in the way that Garland set it up was that there's no, they're physically separated. So Caleb goes in and it, it's very zoo-like because Ava's behind glass walls and they can't physically be in the same place without being separated. And so it feels very test-like or research-oriented because there's no actual connectivity between the two characters. And uh, I just found that interesting. But when she walks out and introduces herself, it's a little bit almost creepy, too. It's super creepy. Uh, because of the life, the lifelike nature of her movement. Um, and then they just start, he starts talking to her. He, he accepts it r- right away. Immediately. Whereas I think I'd be thrown back. Well, I think, I think we find out later on why he accepts it so much. True. It, it, she was tailor-made for him, essentially. Right. <laughs> But he basically says, what would you like to have a conversation about? What we find in the cut is that, is that Nathan is watching and observing all of this from his, his control room, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the hub. And he's seeing it on cameras and he's hearing all the audio and what they're doing and so, so on and so forth. So he, he's observing because he's actually, and we'll get into this later, but he's observing everything that's transpiring between these two characters. He, the first question Caleb asks him is like, where did you learn to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it starts going into all these idiosyncrasies about how people learn language and it gets all these kind of, it gets a little scientific. Yeah. Uh, even delving on a little spiritual too. They have their first interaction. And the way it's split up too is that it says, it, the, the film is actually set into little segments and it says like Ava session one right. and it's the first time that he meets her and then it goes later on you'll see Ava session two and you're seeing the relationship between Ava and Caleb continually grow through these sessions and then it's intercutting the whole time as you're going to each session there's moments where it, it's not in the session but it's Caleb and Nathan discussing what happened in the session right um and so these are the little what's interesting about these is there's some there's some comic relief there uh i think the sessions are very uh they they pique curiosity and they're they're very much like we talked about research oriented and they feel very serious because in in tone it feels formal yeah very formal very formal and then when it's intercutting outside the sessions caleb and nathan Nathan's, he's a wild ride. Dude, he's, he, those are my favorite scenes. Anything that Oscar Isaac's in in this movie, every scene he's in, I love. <clears throat> he's fantastic. But there, there's a moment there, I, I think it's in the first session, where Ava turns it around a little bit on, on Caleb and, and asks him a couple questions. And there was, a, there was a transition here to where, and I don't know if it was just me noticing it, but there was a transition to where so Ava's in this enclosure, and like you said, it's kind of like a zoo. It's through like a, the looking glass. Through the looking glass, exactly. But the way they shoot it, once Ava starts asking him questions, it feels like Caleb is in the cage. Yeah, they've they've swapped the perspective right. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right, and it feels and it looks it looks like he's in the cage. And that alludes to later on because ultimately this is a whole. We talked about Nathan being cat and mouse. Yes, this is a big game for Nathan that he's setting up. 
and Ava's part of that. Yep. And um, and that perspective matters because actually Ava's not the one being quote unquote tested. Uh, Caleb is right. One of the funny things is, uh, <laughs> I, once again, just the silliness of the interactions between Caleb and Nathan, because Caleb's trying to pick after the session one. Caleb's trying to pick Nathan's brain and like trying to figure out all the, yeah. as you would, right? Because you of see course. this machine that looks human and responds human and it feels human. And he's like, and I you know what a big moment this is for humanity. Yeah. This is a huge you're thing. In, you're in the the next chapter. Beyond, like you're seeing the Terminator. Yes. Yeah. This is this is it. <laughs> you know, this, this is, is Skynet. It. This is the, the birth Skynet of Skynet right is, here. And it's in your face. Right. And you got the front row seat. Right. And... And Nathan's like, I understand you want me to explain how Ava works. Right. It's I can't tell you, Caleb. It's not that I think you're dumb. <laughs> I just think I, I just think it's funny the interaction because he downplays it and does make Caleb feel a little bit insignificant in his intellect. Right. You know. Um, but essentially, uh what we end up finding, Caleb, after session one, just these little inter, these comedic interactions between Caleb and Nathan. But Caleb, back in his room, outside of those moments, also has, uh, as as prescribed by Nathan, has access to see Ava's quote unquote enclosure, mm-hmm. and he can watch her through a CCTV camera, uh, doing whatever she's doing, almost like you would observe a mouse outside you know what i mean it's, it's very super creepy yeah it's super creepy from the second he turned on that tv and started watching her it just is it's creepy and it's creepy because the way he plays the character and the way i'm sure it's written is that he starts to feel for her like have mm-hmm. emotion towards this i guess it's i don't know if it's not really a it's not a person it's not a, it's is it a sentient being? I don't know how we describe it, but but my point is that that Caleb you can see from the get-go once he notices he has observational power mm-hmm. to see her, he starts to feel for Ava. Right? He starts yeah, to feel for her. He he starts to really have feelings for her and it's almost immediate too. That's what I mean. Right from the get-go Which is once that why happens. Why it's so creepy to me? Because he, he it's it there's no there's a moment there where he, you can tell that he thinks it's, this is probably wrong, but he doesn't fight it very hard. I mean, to me, he's just all in. He's all in. And then he starts wandering that, the house after, and he's trying to figure out where he has access to, and he's, he's wandering the house. He sees uh, uh, veneer or facade-like mm-hmm. masks that, that, that these AI machines can yeah. change their faces, essentially. It's creepy. Which is creepy. is so creepy. And he tries to walk in, and he essentially finds like a, a, a living room area with a phone and he goes to pick up the phone and in the dark, out of the shadows, you hear Nathan go, you don't have access to the phone. We get a jump scare. We get a, a jump scare. A little bit of a jump scare. And this is the first time we're seeing Mr. Hyde's personality of Nathan where he, he's drunk and he's just sinister. He's sinister. He's very dark, sinister. very dark, very sinister. You can tell he's very inebriated. He's out of it. But at the same time, he throws in this comical joke Referencing Ghostbusters because yeah. Caleb goes to pick up the phone and then boom, we get the jump scare. And then Nathan says, who are you going to call? <laughs> and, and Caleb doesn't get it. Caleb's He's like, what? Dense. He's just dense. And then Caleb goes, and then 
Ghost. He, he's he's like Ghostbusters. Who are you gonna call Ghostbusters? And then he's like, you never seen that movie? He's like, he's like, it's a movie. You haven't seen it? You haven't seen it? Like, it's where the ghost gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex. <laughs> <laughs> I started laughing so hard. And this is what I think. This is what I knew for me when I saw it the first time that Garland is a great writer. Yeah. Because you've built this world that's very tonally serious. You've intermixed it with these great characters that kind of have back and forth, but then it gets dramatic again. And then all of a sudden you lighten it up with yeah. a with a comedic joke. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy. Because it didn't, I mean, it it, it brought a little levity, which was nice. It lifted the mood, but I'm, I'm still freaked out about Nathan. Like he's still super sinister, super dark, super creepy. He's a villain. He's totally. And he feels that way. And then the next moment in the next day, he kind of feels like I'm back out of it. It's like every time he t- there's he's alluding to something. Every time he tips the bottle, he turns in, like you said, he mm-hmm. turns into Dr. J- uh, uh, Jekyll. Right, right, right. And then when he's not uh, tipping the bottle back, he's just the normal scientist, Mr. Hyde. Right, right. And I love how he's built the character that way. Um, the next morning, <laughs> Caleb's in his room. And then uh, Kiyoki comes in. And so now we're introducing a whole new character. At first, we thought it was just Nathan and Caleb. And then this Japanese this woman comes in. random person just comes in his breakfast, room. Right. give him breakfast. Doesn't say a word. Just puts breakfast on his, uh, on his dresser and, and walks out. Very strange. He doesn't seem to... He's a little curious, it's, but I, I think almost immediately he's like, oh, this must be another robot. But Do you think? See, I didn't think immediately he would. He knew that. I almost felt like, and and even when I first watched it mm-hmm. the first time, I didn't real. I wasn't putting two and two together. I feel like Caleb at this moment isn't quite putting two well, and two together. Th- that's either. the only thing I could think of because he didn't seem. He seemed a little surprised at first, but then he after he didn't seem to really. He just kind of brushed it off. He brushes it off. And I don't know if this is just Gleason not being a fantastic actor. Or I don't know what it is, but I mean he's me, okay. He's okay. He's fine. He's okay, but he's no Oscar Isaac. Right, right. That dude, I, we keep saying, but he's great. And he's no Brendan Gleeson, that's for sure. No Brendan Gleeson either. <laughs> um, nice try, Donnell. Yeah, get it. Get your shit together. That's his dad, right? I think Brendan is. Yeah, his it dad. is. Yeah. yeah, he's great. For you, anybody that wants to know Brendan Gleeson, a lot of people would know him from um, Braveheart. Yes, he's brave. Uh, also, twenty eight days later. Twenty eight days later. That's uh, right. Uh, so Garland must have a in uh, Bruges uh, an affinity for uh, must. the Gleason family. Yeah. Hey, I don't blame them. They're they're Irish. Yeah. Are they not? <laughs> they're very Irish. And Alex Garland is British, so there's a tie there. Um, but nonetheless, Kiyoki comes in to play later, but that's just an introduction to her character. Nothing crazy going on. The next day. Uh, Caleb and Nathan, uh, Nathan asks Caleb how he's going to continue to test Ava in the sessions. They start talking about different formulas about how a computer would know whether it's playing chess or not, or all these kinds of things. This is where it gets a little in the weeds. It gets, if you're not, yeah, you're, you're going, okay. But it was still interesting. It was still interesting and still written really well. And he asks him a question, though, that I found that I think, of course, play, because immediately Nathan goes, how does she feel about you? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to and, and, and he's playing into that emotionality of whatever Caleb's feeling up to this point. Um, they go in, they do a couple more sessions. 
um, they start to grow their relationship. I think that's the biggest takeaway. And particularly Ava asks Caleb if she wants to be his friend. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a thing, natural human behavior. If you've started to build something with someone, even in this case, a robot, and they ask you a very personal question about, do you want to be my friend? Right. It starts to you know, build into something more serious. Yeah. It's it, not it's, just two things crossing paths. It feels more like a human interaction. I also think, I believe it's it's in this session where uh, Ava warns Caleb about Nathan. Not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. In this Because in the second session, the big growth pattern for me is she says, you learn about me. And I learn nothing yeah, about that's you. Right. That's right. And that's another human quality. As soon as someone asks you about yourself, I think most human beings are pretty easily influenced to just start start talking about themselves. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, up to this... Sh- if someone shows interest in you, right? Yeah, Then you sure. start to go, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, up to this point... She's playing him. It, it, oh, she's totally she's playing, playing him. him. Up to this point, I mean, he really does feel like he's the smartest person in the room. He really does... Like, he is... You know, how are you doing today, Ava? You know, it's it's, it's yeah. like a... Uh, it's very Alexa. Yes, yes. It's Because <laughs> Ava is not Alexa. It's like a scientist talking to a subject or something. You know, it's ve- it's very uh, formal and more like, this is cute. They're talking like, about look at me. Look Nathan's at- company. Do you know right. what? Do you know what Blue Book is? Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and she, I think this is probably when she learned she can play the play him like a fiddle. Because she immediately go and then he starts going... Well, I have an apartment and I grew up in Portland and I, my family, he starts divulging yeah. all this kind of getting more personal information, right? Um, she says something to the effect of like, is your status single? Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was funny for some reason. Um, and then he starts telling about his parents and how his parents died in a car wreck and how he was in the car and how he had... Uh, had all this therapy that in recovery that took a year longer and that's where he learned to code and all these it like he starts really just pouring mm-hmm. it out free for all and he also he, the way he talks about his coding ability really makes it seem like he really think he fancies himself as a genius coder maybe not to the level of nathan but he thinks he, he thinks he's, he's definitely he is kind of pitching himself as a computer genius however i would say that he does taper it back a little yes because he says what she's like you're like nathan and he's like well what nathan did is like mozart right right he created blue book at 13 right so then we get a con now we know through this we kind of knew before but now we get exposition this yes. guy is crazy genius he just top of the line i yeah. mean he, he is he is a god essentially this is where yeah i mean in in especially in today's world where mm-hmm. it runs everything just Technology and, is the beast. And I, I don't know where it, linearly in the story where uh, he says this, but Nathan, miss, he screws up uh, uh, Caleb's quote about him, how he's saying, you know, this isn't the most important event in the history of man. It's the most important event in the history of gods. Yeah. Kate, or Nathan deliberately, I think it's totally deliberately, says, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I wrote that down. I'm going to use that quote where you called me a god. Yeah. And I just, I thought that was, I thought that was funny because... It's almost like he's playing up that thing. I, I think I don't think that was him deliberately mis, mis, misunderstanding the quote. I think he's totally fucking with Caleb. I think everything he does is a lie. But I also think that he has tendencies to feel like he is like believing what Caleb says about him being sure, in sure. that nature. But 
you know what I mean? Like him actually feeling like, yeah, I'm fucking smart and I'm the smartest person alive. For sure. For sure. Well, I almost I almost feel like he he's playing the Caleb a little bit because he he wants Caleb to think he's smarter than he is. It's important for for what he's trying to accomplish. Right. And you'll you'll understand why later. Right. And so for for Caleb, for Caleb to say, you know what, like he's he's thick. He doesn't understand what I what I told to him. And there's there's another quote later on where we'll get to that anyway. Yeah, but Caleb Caleb's confidence is there. It's about in very shortly in the next 20 or so minutes about to be shattered. Yes. Yes. Um but before that in that session where he's divulging all this personal information to Ava, there's a power cut mm-hmm. in the facility. And when the power cuts, this is all part of this is all part of Nathan Am I wrong here? This is all part of Nathan's setup, no? I think so. I want to say that it is, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm going to go with that trajectory. If it's not, he definitely figured out how to manipulate around it and to use it to He does later, at least. Maybe on this first power cut, it's not. Right, I'm not sure. But but later, it does. even on the next few, like a power cut down Mm -hmm. the road, it does become his his objective to, to work around it. But the power cuts, and Ava divulges to Caleb that you should never trust anything that Nathan ever says. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to take that back. I don't think that Nathan's in it yet, but it will become later. Yes. Um, and she's playing him. Totally. Totally. She really <laughs> does. And she's she, essentially what happens is, and, and we'll kind of, we'll go through this and kind of get towards the end here. But basically what happens is they have these different sessions. The power cuts out. Ava starts to make Caleb believe in her, like gain confidence in her and start to feel emotional and start to feel for her. Right. uh, And and grow that relationship. When the power cuts out, they devise a plan to basically get Ava out because now he's essentially fell for her in some capacity. Yes. It becomes very, uh, there's a, there's a sexuality. Oh, no doubt. To the, to Ava and Caleb, at least from Caleb's perspective. And we find out later that Ava's just playing him like a fiddle. Well, and Nathan builds up the sexuality, the sexual nature of Ava as well. He he tells her, he says, yeah, you can fuck her. Yeah. And she'll enjoy it. Because in one of those off-session meetings with right. Caleb and Nathan, he's talking about how he's built these things to, to, be, right. to be fuckable. Right. <laughs> I mean, he straight up says it too. It's no, you know, it's no mince, not mincing words. So he's definitely playing it up. Uh, Caleb is just so goddamn adorably gullible. He has no idea how gullible he is, and he has no idea that he's getting played from all sides. And it's really, you know, we talked about the cat and mouse. It's really a cat and mouse game between Nathan and Ava. That's really what's going on here. And they are both trying to play each other. And they're using Caleb as a pawn. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And he has no idea what's going on. They're both it's funny, that's that's an interesting side by side because Caleb's in the middle. Nathan's trying to kind of make believe that him and Caleb are close. Mm-hmm. They're buddies. And ironically, Ava's doing the same thing. That ends up being part of the Turing test. The Turing test is to see if Ava can make Caleb believe that she's not a machine. Right. That she's not artificial right. intelligence, that she's real. And she does. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually she gets to that point where he feels so much for her that he's devising a plan for her to break out and be free 
as you would do if you knew that a human was behind bars or in prison right. that you loved and there was a, you know what I mean? Right. And so there's a lot of other elements in there between these sessions where Caleb and Nathan are talking about various pieces to machine learning and AI and things that this is where it gets a little complex. Mm -hmm. And there's some things that are a little more difficult to follow from that particular level, but it's still as a story progresses forward. And the whole concept is we get to like session three and beyond is that Caleb and Ava are building a real relationship. Yeah. They, they've built this bond. They want to go on a date together. She's dressed up for him in a dress and put on a wig and she looks more like a human. Hiding some of her mechanical parts. Mm -hmm. And yeah, put uh, does what you would see like in a relationship between a man and a woman where the woman wants to look good for the man and she'll put like a dress on. And she, right. She's trying to take out her, any resemblance of her AI appearance and make it feel even more human. Yep. Um, and there's these intercuts once again, where Caleb will be in his room after a session and he's just watching her and you're starting to go, okay, it's getting creepy. It's a little creepy, dude. Caleb, pull the reins back. And man. Nathan's pretty pretty brutal to Kyoko, who's that other, the, the Asian woman. The first a time I saw it, I wasn't even, I wasn't even, I thought Kyoko really was just a person. See, to me, it, it was the way she was moving when she brought in his breakfast. It was very precise. So it didn't feel like a like what a person would do. Yeah. And then also the story of where how he, he she can only speak Japanese, so that way he can have you know confidential meetings or dinners, and she won't know what's going on. That, that seemed a little far fetched to me. And he's pretty he's pretty brutal to her. She spills some wine and and he flips out. He, he yells at her. Um, and he uses her for sex. Yeah. And this is where it starts to really get into areas of sexuality because. Nathan and Caleb start having this conversation about AI and what things you prefer. Do you prefer uh, black women? Do you right. prefer white women? Do you prefer this type of person? And it, he's like trying to build these these robots for the preference of the man, it, at least totally. for, for Caleb. Totally. I, I can, I'll give you two guesses, one guess as to uh, what Nathan likes, what his kink is. What? It's the Asian chicks. The Asian, it's the Asian, Asian girls chicks. are all totally. there. Totally. And then he starts talking about how he ran an analysis and Caleb's all about the black women. <laughs> well, no, he said he says Didn't he say that? No, he says, uh, let's just say for the sake of argument, you like black women. You know, why do you like black women? Is it because someone programmed you to like them? No, you just like them. You just like black women. Then Nathan keeps playing cat and mouse because he goes in and they start talking about how uh, Ava is starting to like Caleb mm -hmm. and Nathan's playing into it. He's like, I think she's starting to like you. He start. Caleb goes, well, maybe, how do I know she's not pretending? How do I know she's just not playing into that card? And Nathan's like, she's not pretending. She's not pretending to like you. It kind of builds up a little bit of confidence in his relationship with Ava. Yeah, totally just falsely building up that confidence again. I mean, that's kind of what he's been doing while also hinting that maybe he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Right. It's that cat and mouse, and it's fun. Like, to see Oscar Isaac so so expertly kind of transition between that and we between the, uh, the you know, I'm going to build you up, but I'm also going to tear you down a little bit. It's just done very, very well. It's written well, and it's acted phenomenally. Be and then she 
in one of the sessions later on, I believe it's session three or as it keeps going, finally Ava says something to the effect of he's Nathan's in charge of these power cuts. He wants to see how we can, be, or one of the times he, he's figured out the power cuts and he wants to see how they behave when they think they're being unobserved, mm-hmm. right? And so they start figuring out a game plan to try to trick Nathan. This is where I got a little confused. Well, so so what with the with the power outages, he says, you know, how do you know? Because there's another power outage happens, and he says, why shouldn't I trust Nathan? And she says, because he lies about everything. Right. And he says, how do you know he's not watching us right now just to see how we behave together? And she says, well, I'm causing the power outages essentially. Like I, that's I, right. I can charge when I charge my batteries. I I can't. I don't know what the technical terms are, but basically, she's she's causing it. So Nathan's not watching yet. Yet. He figures out a way to make it happen, though. But Nathan, in between that and when he does figure out a way to make it happen, divulges to Caleb that he handpicked him as one of the best programmers in the company. Right. That he deliberately, there was no contest. The contest was a smokescreen. It was a smokescreen to get you. Right. You know. Um and that's the first of the twists. That's the first of the twists. And we'll get into many more at the end, but not before we get into Oscar Isaac and Kiyoki dancing. <laughs> He's drunk again. He's drunk. And when he gets drunk, wild things happen. Well, before, before, just before this, Caleb sees on the video that, um, so, so Ava has been, she's been drawing and oh, that's right. and Caleb sees on the video that Nathan goes in and tears up one of her drawings. And this is an important plot point because first of all it just it just shows how cruel he is to these to this AI. Oh, he treats him like He treats him like shit. Shit. Yeah. Right. And it also plays up the sympathy that Caleb feels for Ava. And it, she he really does view her as a victim and as someone who is in prison and needs to be released. He's got a moral compass. Because the CCTV is divulging all the mistreatment of these right. these androids. But the thing he's not realizing is that Nathan knows that he can see into that room. Yeah, it, Caleb. He's just so gullible. He's just so dense. It's ridiculous. So, once again, Nathan playing him like a fiddle. Like a fiddle. Uh in one of the subsequent sessions, Ava asks Nathan, cause she knows about the test. She mm-hmm. says, what happens if I fail the test? And this is where they start to devise that plan to get out. Because once she says, what happens, Caleb tells her that he will, what's the word, power you down? Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. like dis- dissemble you. Mm-hmm. Um, um or be switched off. That's the word. Switched off. And so this is where they start to devise a plan to get her out because he starts to love her. <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Could you fall in love with a machine that was just perfect? Like, just like it, knows what you want, knows what you like, is the, you know, your perfect type of person. Could you get past the fact that it's a goddamn machine and not real? Yeah, because no, no, I couldn't. 
I don't think. I mean, I say no, which is what I believe. Right. But then again, it's like I don't. It, I God, I just hope that I wouldn't. That's, that's what I mean. Right. It's, right. <laughs> it's so. It's such a strange thing because they're in the. It's this. The answer is no, but at the same time, like I kind of see where he's coming from to a degree. Well, yeah. Plus, he's very lonely. Like he, he's his. Well, that's why he's handpicked. Right. Exactly. Because his family's dead. He's ran the research. There's nobody there. He. I mean, Nathan knew why he wanted to pick. Right. Him. He lives in a tiny apartment in Long Island. Just has nobody. And he starts telling Caleb, "Look, uh, Ava's just one of many versions. Like she's part of this continuum. I've been doing this forever. I unpack all the data that I receive from him, and I build a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but." Caleb doesn't like that. No, and it makes me wonder how long he's been holed up in that little bunker. And how's he running his uh, his company from that little bunker? I don't know. But it's he's, crazy. He's doing it. Um, it the, and then he tells, he tells Caleb, one day the AIs are going to look back on us uh, in, in dust. Like with, we're just a bunch of old crude language tools. Like we're just old... Uh, irrelevant beings. And so you kind of see where at least the future in his mind is going. And um, this whole time, by the way, I got to ask you about this music, the ominous (laughs) synthesizer. I know how you love those synths. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad in this one. I liked it. I thought it felt totally right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you need something that's more, I, I guess the word's unnatural. Like you needed something more technical, uh, and made you think of technology when when you're listening, to, you know, to the score because it, it wouldn't make sense to have something feel natural at all in this environment. Yeah, there's something relevant in here in one of these last conversations before we get to kind of the climax or to the ending of the film, and um, it's a conversation between Caleb and Nathan. And this is where there's a sense of history and understanding of literature, but also some kind of spiritual context. And they talk about the Promethean man. So Prometheus is a character from Greek mythology who was punished by the gods for stealing fire from the heavens to give to humans. Giving humans the ability to procreate, he's stealing that power from the gods and he's going out and Mm. making AIs and procreating. Right. Caleb calls him the Promethean man. And while he's doing that, he's devised this plan to get him drunk so they can cut the power and get he can free uh, Nathan's creation, in other words, Ava, from, from the prison that she's in. By the way, the, the skin of these AI, uh, it's very easy to just rip it off. Like it's not, you know, you don't have to cut it. You don't have to tug very hard. Yeah. You just gently peel it and it'll come off. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem very uh, smart uh, and not very durable at all. But yeah, he, that was my thought too. I didn't quite get it. And, and this is one of those parts where I thought something, I'm missing something or something's over my head or I'm just not able to really get to the, the center of this because I'm not sure why I get trying to feel the pain. I get maybe thinking maybe I'm AI I get that. It didn't have anything to do with the story, really. And I didn't understand the punching the uh, the mirror thing with either. The blood. Yeah. So I don't know entirely other than I think after seeing all the things that Nathan has done to these other 
uh, AIs, he's questioning whether he's one of them or not because Nathan's been playing him a little bit too. So I wonder if he's, it's just him getting in his own head and then f- right. trying to figure out, hey, am I real or am I not? Right, right. And I think that's the, the, the point behind it. And in the meantime, now it's coming to the week's end of the, uh, the time that he has with Nathan. And he wants to get Nathan drunk. Can you clear this up for me? Because I was confused on the swap. So what I mean by that is he, him and Ava have devised a plan to get Nathan drunk mm-hmm. and cut the power. Right. Is that right? The night that they decide to do that is the day before the helicopter arrives mm-hmm. to take Caleb away. And he offers him a celebratory drink to which Nathan refuses mm-hmm. because he's like, I've been going crazy on the alcohol. Right, lately. right. So the timing's just there for him to deny it. So now that's foiled. He can't go with that plan of cutting the power to get to get Nathan drunk. Right. Because that night is he's decided not to drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Nathan asks Caleb, is Ava expressing real emotion towards you or just simulated emotion? Right. And this gets uh, Caleb thinking. Um, and Nathan kind of turns into that villain again at the end here. Mm-hmm. And he, as he's talking to Caleb, he starts putting doubt in his mind whether Ava's actually been on his side the whole time or not. And Caleb goes, why would she do that? Why would she pretend to, it starts, the, the intensity here starts to build up pretty, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty strongly. So the night before, Caleb gets Nathan drunk. He takes Nathan's key card and he starts screwing around and, and looking at, at in his workstation and playing around in that and seeing all the other AIs, all the different versions. The next day um, was the day that they're going to they're gonna do their plan. He's going to get Nathan drunk again. When he passes out, he's going to steal his key card. He's going to program everything to so all the doors unlock um, when she does the power outage. That's right. But Nathan's not going to get drunk this time. He's decided I'm done with alcohol. Right. So this is also the point where Nathan reveals his entire plan to Caleb. Basically, he's he is the 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 Turin test because he, the whole point was to see if Ava could convince Caleb to help her escape. That's the whole plan. Right. That's the whole point of getting him there. Because if she does that, Caleb has now. It's undistinguishable for him right. that she's an AI. She's right. actually a human in a sense. He's formed that bond, that connection with her. She's manipulated through sexuality, right. and empathy, and all right. these things. Right. So, and this is the big, this is the big, you know, mustachioed villain twisting his mustache and revealing his whole entire plan. Like, you know, this is where, and and he, he comes in and he says, "Look, I was watching you guys during the last power outage. I placed the camera there um, when I ripped up." Uh, her picture, you were focused on the picture and I placed a camera in there so I could watch you guys when the power goes out. It's like some kind of, he's got a battery operator. Exactly. It's not running off. Yet. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and he heard their entire plan that, you know, she's going to cause a power outage. He's going to, pro- he's going to program all the doors to open up. And 
Caleb, this is the first time Caleb shows any sort of real intelligence at all. He says, well, I figured you probably figured out a way to watch us. So I just did all that stuff last night. I programmed the doors to open last night when you were drunk. Right. But the night before Caleb's scheduled to leave, Nathan divulges all this information. Yes. yes. And Caleb starts to feel, he starts to play into it though. Cause he's like, he does, he plays into it. And he's like, did you design Ava's face after my pornography profile? Right. right. <laughs> what? And he says, well, if, uh, if there's one thing a, a search engine's good for, it's that. It's that. Yeah. And then he says, the test worked, Caleb, because in Nathan's view, Ava has successfully yep. manipulated him through sexuality and empathy and all these other things, built a relationship with him for him to have feelings for her and help her escape. So he feels enough, enough empathy. He, he thinks that she is feeling pain, that she is feeling trapped, and that they have formed a connection. And I think those I think that was the test to see if he could form the connection and also empathize with the robot who doesn't have any feelings. And he says to him, the test worked. It worked. Right. Then the power cuts out. And Nathan tells Caleb something to the effect of like, she's going to be wondering where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that's when Caleb says, well, I, I, I just I did it all last night. I programmed it. So when the power because up to out, this point, open. you believe in the way that it's structured you believe that oh you know that he uh nathan's foiled their plan yes and and he even starts alluding to how's your plan gonna work yeah, now yeah. okay let's be a smart you know? ass just gloating a little you're bit you're gonna try to change the lockdown procedure right, right. he's like throwing <laughs> into it you know well and part of the plan i think this is important too part of the plan i think it's pretty sinister was just to lock nathan in his house and never let him out and never let him out yeah. which he basically it's just to murder him to save a machine. And this is where, yeah, exactly. When, and, if you think about that, that's pretty, you're willing to murder a human being to save a machine that doesn't have any feelings, doesn't have any attachments. It's not real. And we'll also figure out Ava's true intentions in just a Yes, minute. exactly. And up to this point, and then Caleb says, well, I figured that you knew all this. Mm-hmm. So I did everything last yeah. night, not tonight. Right. So you're, you're fucked, Nathan. Right. 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 And so uh, that's why I got you drunk yesterday. Right. Then they look at the monitor. Then they look at the monitors. And Ava's, and Ava's free. She's free. She's walking around. She's looking at all the uh, faces of all the different things along the wall. I love the design in this film. By it's, the way. Great. It's, it's, very, it's, it's great. It's very. It's great. It's very. It's it's very well done. I wonder how they built a lot of a lot of this stuff, like the, the stairs that go through the trees, the glass stairway that goes through the trees. But it's still like that. It looks like an actual house yeah i don't know did they just find this location did they build it for that it just seems it's beautiful it's beautifully done but they look in the monitors and nathan's like oh shit because ava's out of her i mm. call it a prison she's out of her jail cell right and she's walking down the hall she's free caleb tries to not caleb sorry nathan tries to run down and and starts commanding her but but right before he gets there she runs, Ava runs by Kiyoki and whispers something in her ear. And she's also tapping on her. I think that's yeah. how they're communicating. Yeah. But she like, she says something. She like leans into her, right. into her ear and says something. And Nathan comes running around and the two of them look at Nathan and he starts to try to bark out orders to these AIs. And he's got his barbell as a weapon. Yeah. One of his barbells that he uses for lifting weights. That's right. And then 
Ava starts to walk towards him. This is when you know it's going to get crazy mm-hmm. because she's got that AI super machine strength. Right, right. <laughs> I knew that when I first watched oh, it. I was totally, like, she totally. starts char- like you know charging towards him. I'm right. like, oh, oh shit, he's fucked. Because we talked about those MIT uh, robots and right. the robotics and things they build. Like they're pushing them over. They just pop right back right. up, and it's kind of well, freaky. Well, just wait in- until those robots have had enough. And then they start charging the dude just like Ava's doing right now. Yeah, because he's it's holding the, he's holding the little right. barbell, and she starts literally charging like a bull and tackles him. Right, um, tackles him to the ground. Basically, grabs. She's overpowering him, and then starts to. She almost starts to strangle him. And then he th- he and does overpower, so he uses he some kind of and human well, strength. Here's the part where it's like he's really sinister. I, I, he must have some sort of hatred for these AIs. Because that he's created. That he's created. So this is where I, you, you wonder if if there's a belief in God. If he oftentimes look at us, if you even if you don't believe it, but just the mythology right. of it. Well, it, who are these? Maybe the, pieces of shit. Maybe it's like you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Type thing. Maybe right. he just hates us. You know, right. because Nathan is wearing white. You know, right? It's very uh, it's very godlike, very saint like, very holy, and. He, he literally stands up after he knocks off her arm and he rolls up his sleeves. And it's like he means fucking business. He's, he's, he's going to beat to the shit out of her. Just tear it apart. Right. Until Kaoki walks up from behind and runs a knife through his back. And just very easily just kind of. sword. Just doesn't even. I wouldn't even say stab him. She just slowly pushes a knife into his back. And it's just very smooth. He and suddenly simple. turns too and she puts her. Her hand on his face. Yeah, yeah. Like a uh, big fuck you. Right, right. It, it's just, and then I, I I, can't remember. Does Ava then stab him she again? She kind of gets this and starts yeah. starts going to town. And again, very smooth motions. Just, in, you know, if you're going right through someone's sternum, I think you're going to have to force it a little bit. But she's got that robot strength. And she's both just, of them are just, while they're doing this. Like cutting through butter. They're cutting through butter. While they're doing this, they're like, I love the, I love it, whether it's real or how it has authentic. The stare down. Yeah, yeah. They just look at him like, we hate you. But here's the, th- here's the thing that I was thinking about this. Is it a hatred or is it just this is just a task that needs to be done for us to get past this? Could be that too. I mean, he is the creator. He is they the creator. They just killed the creator. But they are machines who don't have feelings. So is there real hatred there? Or is there really just like, well, if we don't, if we don't, stab him if we don't kill him he's gonna delete us i no i think i mean that's probably what it is but this is starting to fuck this one is starting to fuck with no that, that's what bit. i mean i think he i think garland escalates it so well right and it starts to get intense and you start to have different thoughts and feelings about mm-hmm. even even when he takes out ava like you were saying with the arm like you kind of like whoa like take it easy right 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 and then they kill him and you're like whoa it just keeps ramping up (laughs) exactly i love what he he it's almost like he expects it though oh totally he knew it was gonna happen of course he did he turned around after he's walking away all bloody he's ready to die he's like fucking unreal yeah (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was i thought that was hilarious and in the meantime caleb is locked in a room meantime caleb is locked in a room and nathan's walking down the hall groaning and dying and falling over he's been stabbed to death and he dies he dies and ava walks up to him and just stares at him looks at it at it at him and then grabs the key card yep and that's when you know 
that it it's like oh shit these AIs are going to be let, they're going to be let loose. <laughs> Whatever they if are. They're causing this much havoc in an isolated place. What's going to happen when they get out in the real world? Yep. Uh, Kyoko dies too, though, doesn't she? She, I can't remember if she dies or not. She does. Oh yeah. He, he bashed her jaw in. That's right. You're right. Yeah. And he, he, he brutalized her. Yeah. He brutalized her. <laughs> totally. Um, but then it goes into session seven. Incessant. This, this, like we've built these sessions along, but we get to the last one. Nathan's dead. Kiyoki's demolished. Mm-hmm. Um, Caleb actually is not locked in the room yet. He's actually been knocked out by Nathan. Oh, remember? that's right. That's right. And then Ava comes in and sees him, and he's now coming back to consciousness. Mm-hmm. And this is what Garland calls session seven. Yes, that's right. And as she walks in, Caleb starts to be like, She's he's he's like Ava Ava like yeah. he's trying to and she just fucking robot. I think she tells him to stay there too, because she locks him in. This she does it. Yeah, she locks Caleb in the room. Right, and then goes into Nathan's room and kind of rebuilds herself based she's, on other parts from other robots. Starts and and you can really see that it it feels it feels like she's feeling some emotion that she's gonna be a real person. Like, you feel like she's getting all dressed. She's taking the skin from these old AIs that are, are not in use anymore. And she's putting it on herself. And it, it's just done very... Wigs. And she's now not just looking robotic, but looks full human. Yes. Fully. Fully. Based on all these other parts of his other... Right. We keep calling them robots, but I don't know what you'd even call them. I don't even. I don't but either. you get the point. Right. She now looks full-blown homo sapien. Like, mm-hmm. she's 100% human. Yep. And uh, I and and Caleb is locked in this room. She puts on this white dress. She has long hair, and you're like, okay. And Caleb's locked in the room. He's knocking the key card. Uh, uh, the key card. What are they called? The scanner. Mm-hmm. The key card scanner is red, where he's locked in. He can't get out. He can't get out. It's a cool shot because. It shows the two of them. It's a two shot of him in the background. Red key card. Can't yeah. get out. The glass door in front of him. She goes to the elevator side, scans Nathan's card. It turns blue. Yep. So he's locked in the red area. She's in the blue area, dressed like, looks full-blown human, and basically walks away. And he's yelling to his last breath, Yes. Ava. And I think he can't understand why someone who loved him could do this. But and for me, when she gets well, on, she didn't. No, that's we'll get, and that's the point. Yeah. But for me, when she gets on the elevator, I don't think she does it maliciously. I just think it's more efficient to get on the elevator and leave than to go over and open the door. Like I don't think it's done maliciously. I just think there's no empathy because it's a machine. She doesn't have any empathy. So I I don't think I think I'm gonna go a contrary opinion here. Are you ready? Okay. I think. Because she's got machine learning and she, of course, can adapt, she knows that Caleb is the last one to know her true identity. Mm, good point. So it's not so much good about point. empathy or feeling. It's a, You're right. She's a machine. But it's more about logical right. outliers. Right. That's not even worth But you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. the potentiality of something, which is Caleb knows she's an AI. Mm-hmm. So I don't want him... To she now she doesn't decide to kill him 
right, maybe right. there's a risk involved there because even though she could probably out potentially outpower sure. him, he might win and kill her right or did you know power her more down efficient to just so the just idea is him. like i'll leave him there because no one will ever know and by the time they do right that's a good point. I like that. He'll die. I like that. And he, he'll he know. But it's again, a, I don't think it's done any in any sort of malicious manner because I don't think they're capable of feeling that. I think it's just more about it, there's a task to do. And this 100%. is the task and this is how we do it. That's what computers do. That's what machines do. And it's ones and zeros and they're analyzing. Right. right. She walks out. She's in a dress. Looks like a human. Enters the natural world. Which one thing we neglected to mention, she actually has visions or ideas of what it means to be in the real world. And right. you kind of see this interlaid a little bit right. it, throughout the film where it shows little uh, foreshadows of her being mm. out in the wilderness or the nature. Right. But she gets out, walks over into well, the helicopter. They, they, they equate it to seeing color for the first time. Right. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the inner cut here at the end is Caleb in the research facility trapped and Ava getting on a helicopter and flying away. <laughs> and then we have this last shot of a, this, this, this last shot, by the way, reminded me of a Nolan shot. Yeah, totally. Totally. And did. it's Ava in the city and she kind of dissolved. Like she, she's walking around. Like we see a reflection of her in like a mirror on a building mm. in the city, people interacting. She's in the real world. And then all of a sudden, one person walks by and the reflection of her in that glass window after the person walks by, she's gone. Yep. It's the, it's the following. He stole that shot from the following. Totally. Remember totally. the last shot totally. of the following? From following? Yeah, totally. So I loved the ending though, cause it's so open. It's like Ava's out in the world. Yep. The AI is real. She's out there. It's no here. one knows what the potential is. Because they haven't seen it quite firsthand like Caleb has, but it's out there. And it could be anywhere. And it could be anywhere. Yeah. I love the ending. I did too. I thought it was great. I thought that I thought it was very well done throughout. Beautiful. I mean, first time director. Yeah. I mean, you get fifteen million dollars and a hell of a team. I right. mean, the crew probably was top notch. No, for sure. It had to be. Right. right. But even fifteen million for a film like this isn't a whole lot of money. It's really no, not. I, I'm sure they saved a lot because there weren't a lot of setups. You have that one location. Yeah, that one location. Well, yeah. Primarily. Um, and, but I think the, so I think they probably could spend a little bit more to get some, some really top-notch crew in there. But just the story's just fantastic. The way he put this together. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it, it really is impressive how he towed the line of, the technical speaking, the technical jargon, but still didn't lose the audience because we could still follow along. To me, that that takes a lot of skill to and do that. And still have the stunner at the end yeah. where you go, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's still driving home that point. He is. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Give me a, a little summation and maybe like a, your, your rating on this one and kind of where you overall your walkaway impression. I, I thought it was great. Uh, it's not a movie... It's going to make you think for sure. And there are a lot of levels, almost almost too many, because to even try and grasp this is a little overwhelming for me. I think it's helped talking through it, but there's still a lot there that I'd love to unpack and, and think about. But it's almost like it's almost too big of a task. And 
that might might be a little detrimental if you're looking for a, a thinker. There's not one lasting thought you're going to be left with. There's many, many that can be swimming around in your head. But I, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. And I, I'd say for a rating, I'm going to go 7.7. It's pretty good. 7.7 what? 7.7 um, shattered robot jaws. <laughs> Shattered <laughs> Kaoki jobs. Yes, yes. That's good. 7.7 7 for Alan on Ex Machina by Alex Garland. Um, quick thing here. We got Rotten Tomatoes. We have an audience score. Now, a big rating, 72,000 people. 86%. It's pretty high. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then the tomato meter, certified fresh from the critics, 267 reviews, 92%. So Does not surprise me. Pretty high. Um, and then from the IMDb, we have a 7.7. That was so, my score. Exactly. So that was right. You're, you're falling right in line with those IMDb followers. So look, this is a, an engaging, thrilling, fun sci-fi. It's, it's not a horror, but it's got a thriller element to it. Uh, but sci-fi drama that I think like you mentioned, and like we've talked about has areas of complexity um the effects are amazing so I, good just really just what you know we we're talking it's just sharp it really is it's just it, sharply yeah. like it you know fine-tuned right per- perfect way to describe it and i think for a first time out like it's evident that he comes from the writing world because i think it's written really well but m- any good writer is a visionary mm-hmm. because they're able to create worlds. And what's great about Garland is he's able to bring that into the visual side. So it's one thing to write something, but then another thing to execute visually. And he's able to do both. Yeah. So I thought a killer t- uh, first first time feature. Sound design was pretty good too. I like I like the little subtlety of the robot movements, and there were a couple things in there, uh, like when she would speak. you're starting to build a connection between Caleb and Ava and she would speak and it would be almost something not true. You heal. There's just a little hint of the little robot electronic thing. And I kind of like that. I like that little touch. Uh, A a subtle reminder that this is an artificial intelligence. Yes. I'm going to come in at an 8.1. We're not that far off. Ex Machina. I feel like it warrants just above the eight. I could even go a little higher because I really enjoy the film. I think uh, anybody who's interested in science fiction, of course, would love it. And then with that thriller aspect, it makes it intriguing beyond just the sci-fi fans. Yeah. So uh, 8.1, I could literally probably go a little higher because I think Oscar Isaac is awesome in the film. Donnell Gleason is, he's okay. Yeah. His, he, for the character. He's serviceable. He's serviceable well, to the character. Well, he's kind of like that and everything. Like in Star Wars, he's okay. He was good. He actually played an Peter eight. Rabbit. Have you seen the 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 Black Mirror? Uh, oh yeah, episode with him. He actually plays an AI. Really good in that. Yeah, and he's in that. He's fine because he's playing an AI who's very robotic. And I want to give heavy props to uh, Alicia, um, who plays Ava, because I think Alicia Vikander is amazing. Because it's it's hard. To embody, I would imagine extremely hard to embody an AI, and also on set, just the feeling of having to be dressed the way you are—that might help a little bit. But also, 
I just think she does a phenomenal job yeah. at carrying that weight of having to be something artificial. Artificial, but also feign uh, some sort of emotions. Transcend it's, into a human nature. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, she does a great job. So acting may even bump it up just a little, but I'll go in with an 8.1 for Ex Machina. A couple pieces of trivia, and then we'll kind of wrap it up here. Director Alex Garland described the future presented in this film as 10 minutes from now. If somebody like Google or Apple announced tomorrow that they had made Ava, we would be all be surprised, but we wouldn't be that surprised. True. Which make we talked about this at the very beginning. That's funny. We talked specifically about Google. That's true. Um, have you ever seen Silicon Valley on HBO? No, I haven't. Oh, it's it. fantastic. But anyway, they make a, a robot very similar, and it, it doesn't. It, it it's not that. It's not absurd far to think about. Yeah. Our what we might our reality. The location of the house. So they did film this at a house or at least pieces of it. Maybe there were certain interior mm -hmm. set designs uh, at a studio, but the location of the house uh, was in Norway. Wow. So Man, I'd love of, to go to that house. Yeah, me too. Oscar Isaac said he based his characterization of Nathan on Bobby Fischer and Stanley Kubrick. Whoa. That's interesting. Bobby I, I don't Fisher. see Bobby Fisher. I don't see it. I see the Stanley Kubrick. I, I see, see the, the Bobby Kubrick Fisher a too, because you're a savant. You're super specific to what you know, and you're. Do you know what I mean? I guess I don't know enough. I haven't seen uh, much of Bobby Fisher's to know his nuances, and but I, I can see Kubrick there. Some of the lashing out, I can see that. Well, I think the Bobby Fisher concept is that he's a chess player, right? And Nathan's one hundred percent a chess player. I can see the Kubrick in the sense of the things we heard about Kubrick being so, has his idiosyncrasies mm -hmm. and his attentiveness to detail and wanting to do things a certain way and not compromising. Right. So that's a that's cool. I love when actors embody real people to try to incorporate into their that's character. That's cool. He sees him as a mysterious, elusive genius. So that, I think that, that's a very that, perfect that way to put it. sums it up. Yeah. Here's uh, what we were... Uh, alluding to earlier in the podcast, the title derives from the Latin phrase uh, Deus ex machina, meaning a god from machine, uh, originated from Greek tragedy. So we were kind of right on the spot there. Uh, this uh, couple Academy Awards, Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Does not surprise me at all. Lowest grossing Oscar winner for visual effects since What Dreams May Come. So they didn't spend a lot of money and they won that Oscar for visual effects. I thought that that was crazy. Cool. I, I just I'd love to to watch any sort of feature or documentary they have on how they did the the visual effects. Yeah, this. I kind of want to see if I can find a, a longer feature on how they did this because or a feature I mean doc. Oh, I got one. Ex Machina's plot is is a loose adaptation of William Shakespeare's play The Tempest. In wow. each of the films, three main characters are roughly ana analogous to characters from the play. Always leave it up to the Brits to throw back. Always going to gonna be Shakespeare. It's always going to be yeah. Bob. Always. William's always going to come into it. In this movie, Don Danielle Gleason plays the protagonist and Oscar Isaac plays the antagonist. In Star Wars, The Force Awakens, <laughs> yeah. the roles are reversed for the two actors. I thought that was funny. So this is Ex Machina by Alex Garland. And uh, Alan, thanks for for charging through this one with me. That was fun. It was fun. Great movie. Great film. Go watch it. Yeah, go go have a look. It's currently on Netflix. It's also on a couple of the other streaming platforms. 
uh, go ahead and check it out. This is uh, the Tame Aperture Podcast. Go check us out on www.tameaperture.com. We're also on all streaming platforms. Give us a listen, follow, and uh, we'll see you next time. Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.